Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am your host, Jess Geyer. I am one half of Wannabe Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games. And I'm here with my co-host, as always, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hi, Jess. I am Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games and a tabletop role-playing game designer myself. And we are here with Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi, I'm the DM Sarah on Twitter. You can just call me Sarah, and I'm really excited to be back on. Yes, thank you for returning. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So my main space in the TTRPG space is as a pro GM. So I have been running primarily D&D 5th edition professionally for clients for about, oh my goodness, almost about four years now. I am also a designer. So most recently I have worked on the Level Up 5e system, which is an advanced version of 5th edition that is completely backwards compatible with the 5e that you know and love. Well, then it sounds like you are the perfect person to be talking with us about today's topic. Topics, but especially this first one. Craig, what are we talking about first? The many roles of the GM. We've, this is something we've talked about on the show a number of times about the different things that the GM is sort of expected to kind of be in charge of just because traditionally they have been. And that's not to say that all of these roles need to be handled by the GM exclusively or by the GM at all. So the general broad umbrella disclaimer at this point is like some of these things can be like a, a, you can a, find a player who can help you do it, delegate. help you do those things. You can delegate those things out. But for those games, for those tables where the GM kind of has to hand, handle all of this stuff, let's just we're, we're not going to teach you how to do everything. There's like the, all these different roles. We can't obviously get into a deep dive on all of them, but we can kind of hit on each of the different things that for somebody who's kind of thinking about getting into GMing, maybe this will give you a sense of what you uh, have coming down the pike and um, perhaps prompt you to say, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe the rules checker should be one of the players <laughs> so that I'm not overloaded Definitely. quite as much because it can be a daunting task. So let's dive in. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree, particularly with the rules person being a player it just takes so much pressure off of the DM. If you're already managing the story, I know that there's some, there can be some like nervousness or hostility about having a quote unquote rules lawyer at your table. But personally, I love it. As long as they are respectful, which, you know, that's a different conversation, right? But as long as they're respectful, having someone who knows the system really, really well and can politely, well, actually that spells concentration me is really, really helpful. Of course, as a GM, you have to then assert your, you know, ultimately it's your call, it's your table, and you may rule something slightly differently, but having someone who knows what's actually in the book, so you're not struggling to run that on top of all your notes, oh, lifesaver, honestly. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is very, it's always very helpful to be knowledgeable about your rules and what you want out of them, and definitely being the having that person as the person you've delegated some of the responsibility to, as you said, is great, but you do have to, like your first role as a GM is really this negotiator of rules. You are the, the arbiter between this rule set that you're probably, if not the most familiar person, one of the most familiar people at the table with this rule set, because you have to dig into more of the book and more of the rules to create the game and run the game than a player might have to. If you're playing 5e, for example, you have to, as the DM, read the player's handbook. Like you have to be familiar with that stuff, but you also have this whole other set of two books. There's a monster manual and there's also a dungeon master's guide if you want to get really into it. 
And then there's the adventure to look at. And you are, you're, you're not a gatekeeper, but you're the, the translator, so to speak. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Although I will, I'm the first to admit that the player facing stuff is the player's responsibility because yeah. I can't know what you're going to get at your third level or what ability happens and when you acquire because I am doing everything else. Oh wait, so are I you saying players, players, you got to own your characters, please, please help out your GM, own your character, know what it does. Are you saying you don't have all of this memorized? I'm good, but Come I'm on. not that good. <laughs> Jess, you play in my Code Warriors uh, game right now, and I'm constantly asking people, what does that particular upgrade do? What does that feature do for your character? Because- And you wrote I, it. I, I designed it. <laughs> yep, and, and I don't, don't remember. remember I don't remember the specific thing or maybe what version we're currently on because I've changed it a few times. Well, that's um, why you have the book. That's why yeah. you have, if if everyone could just have this in their mind and know exactly what to go to, we would have no use for the manual. And it someday would... we will all download it into our brains and everything. Oh, that's spooky. Oh, you you cut out. You cut out <laughs> right so, then, sorry. Really and creepy. Someday <laughs> we'll just download it into our brain, right? Yeah, that was Skynet coming back and making sure that he didn't say too much. <laughs> Apparently. What do you know that we don't? In addition to rules arbiter, you might also be the people arbiter, yes. which is, you know, the herding of the cats, the organizer, the scheduler, the person that gets the group back on point when the players get sidetracked for 15 minutes on something. Oh, yeah. Um, the person, you know, make sure to schedule a break, especially with online games. It can be easy for people to kind of get stuck in front of the camera and think, well, I can't really walk away from this because they'll think I'm not paying attention. You know, you might set up rules for how to handle that. Like a person, like I can hear you. I've got the speaker on. I'm if I walk away from the the, the the camera, I'm still listening. Like you know, like you can make sure that that's kind of known how players and yourself are handling those sorts of things, especially with online games, because uh, it's 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 a different aesthetic and a different feel than if you're all sitting around a table somewhere in the same room and people arbiter might turn into, you know, quelling dis you know, arguments or, or, um, you know, uh, differences of opinion between players. Um, we've talked at length about, you know, occasionally having to talk to a player that might be causing a problem, even if a, a, repeat, a repeating problem, or if it, they just like in the moment on that particular game day, they were really kind of stuck on something and, and it started to drag the game or do something like you have to be prepared to kind of cope with those sorts of things. Unless again, um, there's somebody in the group, you, you might be lucky. You might have somebody in the group that's like a psychologist or a sociologist and like feels more just, comfortable just talking the, to people. The about mom those sorts friend. Of you never know. The mom yeah. Friend. Or, or yeah, just a parent that's <laughs> ready to be like, okay, now are, do we really want to talk to each other like that? Come on folks. Yeah. yeah just, just the people arbiter, the dealing with different personalities a lot of that is like it reminds me a lot of classroom management and as i've said many times i'm a teacher and a lot of classroom management is about making sure that you have some guidelines in place to handle these things before they happen that's why safety rules are so important before you play a game too because having some safety rules and having that conversation ahead of time really takes a lot of the in the moment okay well now we have to not only solve this problem but also figure out how to solve the problem if you agree ahead of time how are we going to solve problems how are we going to mediate whether it's a rules question or a people question or anything really you you have that set in place and there's less of that stress on you kind of as a gm too one of your roles is to maybe set up a group of people that won't have those problems. Yes. Um, 
Uh, Sarah, I can imagine that this might not always be possible if you are a professional GM. Do you, you don't you don't necessarily get to pick your players, do you? Right. So often the only time that I get to pick my players is if it's an established group. They played together for a campaign and they decided as a group, you know, we'd like to continue and play this campaign that we're really curious about then I will keep it at just those players unless I think that someone would be a good fit. And that's not everyone, right? And I'm comfortable telling someone, I yes, I have, there's a space, but this group has been playing together for quite literally years. And I just don't know that I want to introduce, like, I don't know that the personalities would work. I don't know that I want to introduce a new person. But yeah, most of the time I don't get to pick players. And what I've noticed is one, people self-select in and out. So if someone comes in and they're not vibing with the group, they will leave. Mm -hmm. And that's not a statement on me as a GM or the system or the game I'm running. It's just, if you're not having fun, you should leave, right? You should hit the bricks. That's fine. Yeah, you're there to have fun. So. You're there to have fun. And if you're going to have a personality conflict, it's going to, you can self-select out of that pretty easily. So that's nice. But I do think that there's something to be said for tabletop gaming as a way to resolve personality conflicts and learn how to work as a team. Uh, this is something that I would love to do even in the corporate world, honestly. I think that there's a lot to be said for, oh, you all have to work in a small team on this project. Why don't we spend two hours playing a role-playing game that's aligned with the interests of the team, right? Because someone group might be, they might have spent ages talking about Game of Thrones around the water cooler. You might have a bunch of people who they all watch Star Trek. Maybe they love Rick and Morty, whatever style of story connects the team. You can play a story like that. Two hours doing that, one hour saying, okay, so I noticed that so-and-so likes to be the face of the party, that so-and-so really likes to know what they're doing and have the rules down before they make a choice, that so-and-so is a tactician. I noticed that you maybe weren't super comfortable with this. Can we talk more about that, right? That debrief takes it out of the context of the friend group or the workplace and puts it in the context of the game, which gives you a little distance to learn something about how you want to lead, want to follow, want to interact with people. And I think that's really interesting, but that's a lot yeah. of work on the part of the GM and certainly not something that you enter into lightly. I just think it's an intriguing possibility. Yeah, I, I can definitely see how that would be really useful too, especially with established, pre-established teams. I mean, there's so many people skills that you have to have anyway, just as a GM, even if you're not doing something professional like that. It's just a, a lot that goes into being a host. I mean, that's like the oh, overall yeah. rule, right? There we you're, go. Another role. You're the host. It's <laughs> on my list. <laughs> yeah, often sometimes that's a physical host, right? If people come to your house to play, well, that's yeah. your role now, right? You're literally physically hosting. Or even in virtual spaces, I'd argue I'd add the role of tech wrangler. Mm. Because often as the GM, you're saying, okay, we're going to meet on Zoom, or we're going to meet on Discord, or we're going to meet on Roll20, you're going to meet on a combination of these. You're often the person who knows that platform for what you're trying to do. Right. And it might be yes. your account that you're maintaining. And like, especially for something like Roll20, where you can prep maps and things and there's tools in place to be able to use. Like, so kind of being up to speed on all of that. Yeah. Yes. Or even just, hey, 
Uh, we can't hear you in Discord. Are you sure that you're pulling <laughs> from the right um, mic? Are you sure that your audio drivers are up to date? <laughs> like, these are real conversations that I've had to have because someone's tech isn't working. And I'm yeah. the person who knows the tech the best. And I mean, also as the host too, you are making sure the people you invite to your party are not, they're not going to be the Capulets and the Montagues, you know, you're not, <laughs> you're maybe going to keep those two sides separately, have maybe mm-hmm. two different game nights. You're going to make sure that your, the space is conducive to gaming too, whether that's physically or online, you want to make sure that you know, you're, you're setting up some parameters of how we are all going to enjoy the space. Maybe you are also a baker as part of your role as a host and you're bringing in a whole plate of cookies. That's my favorite role to do. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be the bad guy. I'll be okay. If I'm the host uh, here, uh, make sure you've got a space that accommodates the people, the number of people that you have in a reasonable fashion, mm-hmm. um, that it's comfortable lighting, uh, temperature, all that sort of thing, you know, talk to your players and see what situation is or for tolerances for those types of things, uh, mm-hmm. and expectations of how the place will be treated. Like when somebody comes into your home, you know, like you might have to just briefly step out of like, Hey, I'm your GM and I'm, we're all friends and we're all good. And it's like, this is my home. Please treat it if you Nicely with respect. on my carpet, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> Take the cigarettes outside or vaping outside if that's your thing, you know, like whatever the thing, you know, like you pick up after yourself when you're done. I don't want to have to spend 20 minutes cleaning up after everybody. Let's all be adults and respectful of each other. Like just, you know, just lay those, uh, those expectations out there. And, and the same thing, you know, like when you expect people to clean up, then that means they also expect you to have the place cleaned up and ready to go. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, barring some misfortune or like, you know, tornado of children that came to the area or a dog that got out of control or whatever, you know, like the, the emergency yeah. weird thing that happened. But generally speaking, you've got it under control. And, you know, like if, if, if you're going to, if, like Jeff was saying, if you're going to make sure that there's food or drink or whatever in the place, make sure that there's, you know, cleaned cups and, you know, just all that sort of common sense stuff, which I have, I'm sure some of you have as well. Um, not always seen happen at the places that yeah. I come to game. Every so often I get together with people and it's like, I'd really love to get a glass of water, but there's no clean glasses. Yeah, if you if you want people to stay in this space and game with you for a couple hours at a time, you need to make sure that you're taking care of their basic person needs. <laughs> people have basic people needs, like they need to eat and they need to drink and they need to, you know. Clean the bathroom. Oh, no. Yeah. Please make sure, like, a little cluttered. Yeah, fine. Dirty. Like stressing. Yeah. Not good. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. Hey, yeah, you are you're the event planner too, as the GM as well. And that includes, you know, all those hosting responsibilities, but also providing the entertainment for the night. So you have to do some, yeah, you know, like you gotta do research ahead of time too. Like what are you what are you bringing from previous games that you're gonna put into this game? How are you gonna move this story forward? How are you going to keep people engaged? There's like the more I keep talking about this, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is just being a teacher every day. Okay, as a, I'm also a teacher, and I yes, I absolutely agree. In part because if you're not hosting, for example, I don't have like a permanent classroom. I teach, and then another teacher comes into the same space. Yeah, me too. So, if I'm going to have anything for class, it's coming with me in my book bag, and I commute via bike. So the only things that come with me to a D&D session, to class, 
anywhere it has to fit in a backpack or a book bag. And that's a very real consideration, even if you're not the person hosting, but you're DMing that often comes with, depending on the, on the system, right? But that you could be bringing books, you could be bringing dice, you could be for very war game -y type games, you could be bringing miniatures and terrain, and you do not want to arrive at wherever physical location you are and realize you don't have something he has. that you need. I have, I have checklists. I am team checklists because otherwise <laughs> I will forget things because it's a lot. It's a lot to remember. And that's before you even get to the story. There's just logistical concerns. Yeah, there's a lot. Like you definitely have to worry about a lot more logistical concerns as the GM than you do as a player. Because as a player, you're responsible for your character and Maybe your dice. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Yeah. GM might have a big bucket full. Oh, how many times, <laughs> how many times have I been, been a GM or have um, been a GM and a player asked me for a pencil? Or how many times have I been a player and I've had to ask my GM for a pencil? Um, okay, sc scratch paper I can write a note on? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, that ties back to the teaching thing, right? You really want your students to show up prepared to class. Mm -hmm. And realistically, some of them will not. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just the way of the world. I don't know what age you teach, but I teach um, undergraduates. And like, you'd love to believe that they've gotten those skills. But you know, 18 year olds no. don't necessarily have them. Adults. 38 year olds don't necessarily have them. I was, I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. So I think I would perfectly understand why a teacher or a GM might be like, oh, you don't have a piece of paper? Well, that's a shame. <laughs> Because no notes for you. It's <laughs> a lot to try and deal with that. Yeah. But I think it's compassionate and nice if you have extras. I do. Mm -hmm. Sure. But it is more work. There's no getting around that it is more work. And I think that comes to that interpersonal respect piece, right? Having the conversation with presumably your friends. We're operating an assumption of friends or, you know, people mm -hmm. that you want to. People that you want to spend a couple hours spend with. Time with. Yeah. Hopefully you can have the conversation of them of, listen, I understand that people forget things. Here's why it's important to me that you know your character, that you roughly know the system that we're using, that your microphone works, that you bring what you need, that you bring the snack that I asked you to, that you clean up after yourself. Painting the picture of the burden that that puts on you if people don't do that. I mean, that's just helpful for any situation yeah. where you're trying to get people to do things. You're treating them with the respect of saying, here's what I need you to do and here's why I need you to do it. That's much, that's an easy conversation to have, right? For responsible people, that's not that hard. And I think that's something that particularly new GMs should feel empowered to ask for, right? These are people, they probably wanna help you out. You can ask people to take on some of this. And I think that's a very reasonable ask, I really do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if and if it's something that's going to like you can reduce your uh, workload by having other people do some of the things like maybe there's something that's going to rotate around the group, but you might also still have to regulate that, make sure that mm -hmm. the person like every week, somebody different is in charge of bringing snacks for the group. Yes. But, now You don't have to remember. worry about going to shop for the snacks and finding the thing that everybody's going to be happy with, but you have to make sure that the person who does that knows like you know send them an email or give them a phone call or a text or whatever uh, the, the day before and remind them hey remember your snack person you know or, or any like rotating responsibility if you're gonna like if, if the game has to move to a different place for one you know like i can't do the game at my place this 
weekend because my roommate or my spouse has something going on, but we want to, mm-hmm. but we, but I'm not on the hook to be there and then we can still game. So we're going to have it at another, at another person's place. Remind that person, Hey, we're all playing at your place. Remember how I do everything and keep everything nice and clean and ready, receptive for everybody. Like, okay, this time around, that's on you. Just like a, a gentle reminder to, to send that information out and make sure that Absolutely. everybody knows what they have to deal with, what they're expected to do. I love discord for that in particular. Discord is my preferred, like, all right, logistics update, tagging everyone. <laughs> at, at everyone. At everyone. <laughs> Here's the plan. Yep. Cause then it's in one place. Group discord right discord. now going on for my game. It's the best. Yep. I have a discord for my classes, honestly. It's all, I'm the only person in it, but all my readings are there. I mean, yeah, there, there you go. There's like the, I think that's probably the biggest umbrella term. The biggest umbrella role for a GM is an organizer because you're organizing the schedules, you're organizing the people, you're organizing your space, you're organizing the game, you're doing all of this organization. uh, And like, that's other than storytelling, that's your primary responsibility. Yeah. Organize, 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 organize. And when you're done yeah. with all the organizing, you get to tell a little story for a little while. <laughs> yes, the reward, the treat you receive <laughs> for handling all of these jobs is you get this awesome dopamine rush when people are really into your adventure. Again, uh, Sarah, I'm sure that you get it too with the teaching. It all makes it worth it when they have oh, the aha yeah. moment. And then you're like, oh yes, I love this. This is fe- this is feeding me with with so much energy. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it feels great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's work. We yeah. gotta acknowledge that it's work. Well, let, let's let's talk about the other side of things. Let's talk about the roles of the publisher. <laughs> uh, all of them. All of them. Um, even yeah. more. <laughs> Speaking um, of work, stepping yes. into yeah, stepping into the designers, the des- game design side of things. Like if you're going to actually not just design, but also publish, or even if somebody else is going to take care of the publishing itself, and but you're going to have all these other organizational things to get the game in shape to the point of being able to be published. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of roles that. Uh, there's a lot of steps that happen between writing the game and putting the game in people's hands in the form of a PDF or a book or, or whatever. Um, yes. So let's talk about some of those. I've got a list as well. <laughs> Craig, I'm, I'm curious if you've learned any new roles now that you are like publishing someone else's game. Have you learned any new roles that you didn't have before? I don't think I really did anything in the role in, in a role that I hadn't done before to some degree this time around. But then again, with staged heroism, the um, the designer was did the, the the design team did a lot of the upfront work. Like there was they were involved. I didn't have to do. I wasn't involved in playtesting and development. I kind of just helped to polish the game up at the end and make sure that it was like you know Nerd Burger Games quality. Like it was like, it's something that I would be proud to put the, uh, the old label on, but, uh, well, I mean, there was, there was an arbiter aspect of like Mm. negotiating with someone as a partner. That was a role, I guess I didn't play before was like, not like if I'm contracting a freelancer to do something, I have, let's face it, a position of power over the freelancer. Whereas if I'm publishing somebody else's game and they've done a great deal of the work, 
there's a, it's a little more of an equal split and it's more of a partnership as opposed to an employer and employee sort of relationship. So that was a new one was kind of being in a partnership. So I was negotiating more than just saying, this is how I want it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I was thinking like that has to be a different kind of mode. Like it's it's different when it's not yours. Yeah. Yeah. I had to keep reminding myself that I I'm not in control of this. I don't have like my word does not say, you know, what I want does not, is not the be all and end all. Like there's yeah. some, there's, there's other people that are more on an equal partnership basis. Like, well, and I got used to it <laughs> with other <laughs> games where I'm like, well, this is basically my baby and like how I want it to be is how I want it to be. And with, you know, the, the, the graphic designer or the editor or the, the artist may have suggestions and they come up with great ideas. Play testers come up with great ideas that, you know, ultimately you, you change what you're doing but you ultimately are the one who makes the decision. Whereas in a, when you're publishing somebody else's work, there's a little, like they've already made a bunch of the decisions. Like I don't, I don't have a say in certain decisions that have already been made. I think like you were, like you mentioned it already when you said that there's a lot of overlapping roles there. I think that there are a lot of overlapping roles with the game designer and the GM too. And yes. Sarah, what about like the big differences? Like what's a big different role that you have when you're like, making a game versus when you're being in your your hat as a professional GM? I love this question because if you're a GM, you've probably homebrewed something. Mm-hmm. Realistically. Pretty much everyone. Something, and you probably think it's great. And it might be great. It might be great for your table. It might be great. Just It might just be brilliant, right? But the steps between I have this great idea whether it's a supplement or a full new system. And I have a product that is of a professional quality to go into someone else's hands in exchange for money. There are a lot of steps between that and what you made at the table, a lot of steps. And I started publishing and designing, uh, self-publishing. So I was doing all the steps. And I was really careful to do things that I knew I could do and I could actually accomplish all the way up to being a lead designer on Level Up where we have less than project managers. Yeah, if you are making your own stuff, you are the project manager. Yeah, well, that might be one of your roles as the publisher. Yes, absolutely. So there's a lot of work that, you know, it's very tempting to be like, oh, well, this is super cool. Like I've got a super good idea. Like, yeah, people are going to be so excited about this. And then you put it out as a Google doc on format. And you're like, why don't people like this? Mm-hmm. Like, well, yeah. yeah. Because there's other things that go into making a really good product. It's not just a good idea. It's good presentation so that someone can easily pick it up and run it. That is appealing in the massive market that is TTRPG publishing. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And if you're self-publishing, that's all on you. If you're publishing for someone else, you, you're now responsible for handling a lot of those things. So it's not just the idea. There's, there's a business aspect to it as soon as you say, I want to charge people money for this. Or, I mean, even if you're not charging, you're releasing a free game, it still does reflect on you as, yeah. as a designer in a lot of ways. So I, I that's like 100% spot on the presentation aspect. And within that, there are the rules like, yeah, you're probably going to hire an editor at some point, um, but you are editing. You're not just designing, you are editing. Um, an editor doesn't want to take um, 
like gobbledygook prose and try to turn it into something. There has to be something workable and shaped before it can actually be edited. Yes. Um, if you're if you're hiring freelancers to do any of the writing and design work for you, you're going to go through and develop and edit their work before it go to make sure it all jives and right. kind of fits the game and fits well with other stuff that you've developed so that the editor doesn't have to try to fix that because like that's the difference between a copy editor and a developmental editor do you want to pay for the developmental editing or do you want to take care of that yourself i don't want to pay for the develop unless you've got the money in which case, if you've got sure. the money and you've got somebody the expertise and the project kind of demands it yes sure but like if, if you can that's do it all yourself it's and it's especially if the game is kind of your brainchild and you're hiring people to fill in gaps and do certain parts then yeah try to you know you, you've got your you'll be what's called a developer or a producer you know in, in dealing with all of that sort of thing and one of the most fun things about self-publishing is you learn a lot of skills really quickly <laughs> so because i was self-publishing even really simple stuff well i had to learn how to lay out that text and that's actually metamorphosized into me doing let, layout for other people's projects professionally which is really fun and i actually really enjoy that piece I had to learn how to source, excuse me, source art that I could use without violating someone's copyright. I had to learn some things about product identity, about marketing it, about how to price my work. But all of those things that you learn when you're, I mean, I really just jumped in the deep end. I was like, all right, we're gonna do this. But yeah. all those things that I learned, not only do they help me design better products and be a better publisher, but they also gave me insights into some things that I really enjoy. Uh, editing is fine, I'll edit for you, but I like doing layout, I do. The layout is fun. And that gives me some sense about how I can collaborate with other people. And all of those things that uh, Sarah just mentioned are uh, these roles that we're talking about. Yep. <laughs> um, and, you know, and there's different grades of, you know, gradations of those roles as well. Like Sarah's talking about doing layout, um, Jess does layout, I've done some layout for my stuff. Even if you're hiring someone to do the layout, you add, you know, I you may come into like as you're designing, one of your roles might be like to just have a sense of where of how it's going to lay out, like how big the chapters are going to be, how much your artwork, how much artwork you're going to have in there, you know, do you do you want to make a table that's going to take up four and a half pages, like, <laughs> um, you know, like kind of you know just planning for some of that sort of stuff. So there's just like this logistical planning that Jess was talking in the previous segment, like logistics mm -hmm. and project management sort of stuff. That that's part of the role that you might be dealing with too. Like the graphic designer layout person can come in and make it all look wonderful and pretty. They might solve some of those problems for you, but you know, approaching some of those and thinking about what the product's going to ultimately look like so that you can design to that and have mm -hmm. all the components that you need. Um, from art and and writers and so forth. Well, yeah, you have to you have to know what you want it to look like before you hire an artist. Before you hire artists or layout designers, you need to know kind of and probably do some research too. Like, for example, Craig, if you are making a game that is about uh, little programs in a computer and they are you know facing an apocalypse, you want to know what that game is gonna look like, right? <laughs> you want to have an idea of some of your inspirations. And then when you are going and you're hiring your artists or you're collaborating with other people, that way you can take on that more managerial role of like, yeah, I like this, but I love this, or I don't like, but you have to have the sense, you have to have some of that know-how in order to do that. 
I'm thinking like you're you're the editor of a magazine. You're not writing the articles necessarily. You're not taking the pictures. You're not even putting it all together, but you are giving a thumbs up or thumbs down. And you need to know what you want to give a thumbs up and thumbs down to. Absolutely. The look of your product, yeah. the style of the writing, the layout, the art that you choose, all of that tells a story. And if you're making a TTRPG, often that story is uh, indebted to existing genre conventions, mm -hmm. right? So a kind of post-apocalyptic setting might have a very different layout. But if I'm doing a post-apocalyptic game, I can play on different elements of post-apocalyptic storytelling. If I've got a cutesy cartoon-esque color, cover in pastel shades. I've just told you something about my game. Mm -hmm. If I've got a gritty, dark comic book-like cover with like a little bit of uh, like the color dot appearance, I've told you something about my game. If I've got a very minimalist cover, I've told you something about my game, right? It's all communicating a story within certain genre conventions. Yeah. Yeah, it matters, right? You I wanna think... know what, you're what story you're telling. I think you could call that role like the role of being the visionary you are like visionary you are you are that person i'm the steve jobs oh yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it may, yes that's actually pretty apt in a lot of ways but it makes me terribly feel icky on the inside i don't yeah, like well, that. love him or hate him he was like he knew what he wanted yeah he knew yeah. what he wanted the products to be and so you have to have a little mm -hmm. sense of that even right if the, the even if the, yeah. <laughs> even if the artist and the layout person and, and, and other people are going to help you get there, they're going to suggest ideas that maybe you hadn't thought of. They're going to refine things that you kind of had a vague idea about, but at least having the basics in your head. And that goes to like another role that you might take on yourself that you might also um, farm out to somebody. And that's art director. Like you can communicate to the layout person kind of what you think the layout might look like. And the layout person can kind of go from there, but the layout is going to kind of like, oh, you, once you kind of figure out what the layout is, like now the layout person applies it to the whole book. Yes. Um, as one entity, whereas the artist or artists are going to need a description of every single piece of art. What does, what does every piece convey? How big is it? What orientation is it? What's the final specs of what you want to get from it? You know, CMYK color space, vertical orientation, half page or, or you know, uh, uh, quarter page, you know, is it, uh, um, does it have a background or not? Does it have a border or not? What's actually happening in the piece? What, what, are, what figures are there? What are they doing? Is it just a landscape? Is it, you know, what does that look like? Is it just like, there's everything, every single thing. Yeah. We hired a, an art, for, what, what was this, what was the title? I, my brain has just emptied itself. Art director. Out of everything. Thank you. Thank you. I could not think of that word, an art director. We hired an art director for means of magic because it's a, it was really tough work and we're not like, I'm not a great visual communicator um, in that, in that kind of sense, but that still meant that we had to make meetings with our art director we had to go over our inspirations with the art director. We had to talk about what we kind of wanted out of it and have descriptions of these things in general. And then the art director was responsible for searching and finding artists that kind of fit with those genres and really coming up with some concept pieces to, to show them. And I mean, even though we had a we have a person who whose job it is, who we're paying to do a lot of that, like there was still a lot of work on us to 
again, know what we were talking about, know the conventions that we wanted to exploit. And you have to communicate, yeah. even at the very least, you have to communicate to the art director what the game is about, what sorts of things the characters might do that should be featured. You know, if this is a combat game, then, you know, we're, we're telling the art director we want to see a lot of fight scenes, yeah. um, a lot of characters geared up with weapons and armor and stuff. If it's a more pastoral game, then, okay, well, now we want to see characters in like happy little bands traveling to places and engaging in like crafty things and you know, like it, it's, it's, a, if, if it's a game that does a lot of different stuff, then you got to like make a list. Like here's the, we want a little bit of combat. We want a little bit of like people doing political stuff. We want them building some things. We want them, you know, doing all these different things and, yeah. and thinking about where, like, even if the art director doesn't like you, you might have a sense of like, well, I, the rule section is going to have six illustrations. The spell section is going to have seven illustrations. Like, you know, knowing like like, well, what are, what, what do all those need to be? Because there's different types of illustrations that are more useful in different chapters of the book. Yeah. Illustrations often a way that people intentionally or unintentionally communicate who they want playing the game is mm -hmm. something that I've noticed. Absolutely. Because, and this is something that I encountered actually not in the D&D space at all, not in the tabletop space, uh, nothing like that. I was working on some new materials for a nonprofit and we hired a really great um, designer to create some images for our website. And they were really cute. And they were all skinny, able-bodied people. Mm -hmm. We had racial diversity, we had age diversity, but we had no size diversity and we had no ability diversity. And that communicated something, right? About the kind of people that we were trying to serve with the website. And so I was like, can we maybe go back <laughs> and add in, some diversity of size and ability because we're, we were a community development organization and we're supposed to be serving everybody, right? And we, our website was showing us that we only serve some people. So that's something to think about when you're picking art too, right? That people consciously or unconsciously are gonna pick up your product and either see themselves or not and make a choice about whether or not they should be playing the game. That yeah. is a thing that people do. You're definitely- you're a cultural liaison, so to speak. Like you need Ooh, to have the understandings. Got to have the understanding of like the intended audience. That's really, I like, that's a really good uh, illustration, illustrative point that you had there, Sarah. I like that. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to always be an equity or social justice thing either, right? Like if you're designing a game that's targeted towards kids, you don't want to have adults in your illustrations. Exactly. You have kids going on adventures because mm -hmm. they'll like it more. Yeah. And like, if you're, if you're targeting the, something may, towards Maybe teens. the kids are saving the one adult that's the in The kids should be saving the adults. Kids love that, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. If that's what your game's about, yeah. Yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. And, and I do this, I do um, with every single, I started doing this with my first game. I've done it with every single game. Um, Excel spreadsheet called Illustration Matrix. Ooh. And it is the size of the piece, what, what it's called, what chapter it's located in a general, you know, before I write any or sort of art order, it's just a general description of like, this is a showdown between two characters with guns. And then, um, and then it, there's columns for, uh, uh, uh like just like a, there's a general notes thing, but then there's like, there's usually a column for a few different, like, uh, gender race. Um, and then I, uh, ability or other, usually there's like an other column that I'll, I'll make a note. Like I'm going to have a little person in, in, in an illustration. I'm going to have a person with a prosthetic in an illustration. I'm going to have an overweight person, um, a larger person in an illustration, like make sure that I don't miss and don't forget to include some of those sorts of things. And, um, and then also, um, as an art director and 
when you're assigning all of that sort of thing is kind of keep in mind too. be careful about where you center all the characters. Like if, if it's always the white dude characters that are doing the cool thing yeah. in the illustration, that also tells you something about the game. If it's always like women who are being rescued mm-hmm. um, or who are doing non, uh, you know, quote unquote, strong things like that tells you something about the game. If like the, if, if, uh, 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 c- characters with that show any sort of uh, disability use a disability aid or who are um, uh, larger in so- body size um, are always kind of background characters that tells people something about the game like show everybody doing the cool stuff and I'm and I try to make a note of like make sure like if I have a if I, if I have a half page illustration that I know is going to have like four figures in it got a bunch of these like make sure that I'm varying who's doing what make sure everybody's kind of getting some some service so that uh, and, and people will say, well, that you're just pandering. No, I'm not pandering. I'm trying to sell my game to as many different people as I possibly can. Um, it has, it, 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 it's nice that it does a social thing and it helps um, the, the community in general. And, and I think it's important that the representation is there, but also just like face it from a business aspect. It's just smart too. Smart business. <laughs> like why wouldn't I want to have like any, absolutely any type of person look at this game and go, Oh, like, there's me or there's someone that's kind of like my brother or my sister or my mom or whatever we were just talking about how much people love to see themselves like their characters represented like in our last episode we talked about how people like to get commissions of their characters i love it yeah (laughs) they also like to see themselves represented in the works that they're purchasing they're just playing and not in the background all the time yeah (laughs) not the sidekick all the time as we're we're sort of rounding out this um conversation here one of the things that we haven't talked about are the roles that you have outside of the actual game design and product stuff. What about like the, the social roles you have as a publisher, as a designer, the things that go like, for example, the roles that you have when you are attending networking events, like conventions, let's talk about that a little bit. Cause I think that that's, that's a role that you don't have as a GM for sure that you do have as a publisher. Absolutely. You People are, are going to look at your product differently depending on how you present yourself. At a certain point, you become a brand ambassador almost. And if you're a small TTRPG publisher, you're probably the only brand ambassador you have. So yeah. I really think that speaks to just being authentic to what you're trying to do, presenting an honest self like, hey, I made this. I'm excited about it. Here's why. And that's really all you can do, right? But you also have a responsibility to behave responsibly and appropriately and i mean we there's plenty of bad examples we can pull right people notice people care and then they stop buying your game so you have a responsibility to act appropriately and ethically and in a way that reflects the kind of person that you're trying to be and on top of it you're you know like assuming you're not a one person show you've got other people that have bought into what you're doing that are like they've contributed to a game or multiple games like I know that like the last thing I want to do is number one, I don't want to do anything shitty because I just don't want to do anything shitty, but I also don't want to be like, Oh, and now all these people that are like longtime coworkers and in many cases, friends, because we've worked together so much now they're like, oh, what did Craig do? Really? Like, I don't want to put my friends in that kind of a position. That's, that's extra. Like there's being shitty and then there's being extra shitty. Um, and suddenly, yeah. So like it or not, yeah, you may be the face of every single game of every everything the company does. 
definitely, more. definitely. And, and at conventions and in social media spaces and uh, yeah, all of that on on podcasts. On podcasts. <laughs> and if you're lucky, you get people who worked on your project like me who like, you know, I'm not like the project lead on Level Up, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. So I talk about it, right? Hopefully you have people like that. And that diffuses some of the pressure, but it's only you trying to promote your thing all the time. That's good, right? People yeah. like... People like hearing from different people that something is good. And they especially like if it comes from someone that they consider themselves close to. So if someone's been following one of your designers for a really long time and they tweet about it, that matters, right? That helps. So hopefully you have more than one product promoter, but really it's going to come down to the person or brand whose name is on the cover. For sure. And that's responsibility. It is. And to spread the love on that too is like a role that you might be in is an evangelist for the other people that you have yes. worked with. That is, tell people, hey, wasn't it wonderful to work with this artist or this editor? Um, this layout person is freelance and is always looking for work and they do great work and they were wonderful to work with and you know everything about uh, your experience with them. Like that's, that's useful and important too is like they're going to be hopefully promoting what they've worked on and helping you to get the, the, the company known and the game known and so forth. But, you know, pay it back, pay it forward for them too. Like I, I like, I like nothing more than finding out that somebody that I just, that I've worked with has suddenly like taken a step forward and is working yes. on another game project or something. Yeah. I really, yes. Serena literally found out this past week, Serena Malian, who did all of the artwork in good, strong hands has done her first magic, the gathering card, and she's been showing it off online. And I'm like, Serena, that's all wonderful. And it's a oh really gosh. cool painting. <laughs> and so, yeah, like that just, that's a step for her that like, I didn't probably have anything to do with that, but I'm absolutely going to be like, Hey, take a look at this awesome person yeah. who did these cool uh, story tale, storybook <laughs> illustrations in my game, but who has also now done magic stuff. Like, wouldn't she be great to have mm-hmm. work on your art because she does this full time and is really good at it? Yeah, I, I love can't that. Be, then you can't be salty if they raise their rates, though. Nope, <laughs> but yeah. they might. Yep, that's true. <laughs> um, and that you know kind of plays into this other aspect that you have too, as as a community manager, as a designer too. When you do start getting popular, you have this growing network. Like Craig, you have a lot of people on your Discord, for example. You have this community of fans essentially, and you have. I'm, I'm sure that you would agree. You have some. You have some responsibility to be a community manager for those people. What's that rule like? It's laying out uh, rules for the Discord, um, enforcing them as necessary. Fortunately, I have not had to really enforce anything other than to just kind of calm a conversation or two down when some people got a little heated. And it's going, in my case, it was going so far as to have, um, I don't have it open right now and I don't want to screw up my computer, but uh, I don't remember the title that I gave her, but there's a person who has, uh, who is on the Discord who has um, a background in this sort of thing who is basically the arbiter of all disputes of those types of things so that if there's somebody that needs to get booted, I don't get to choose that. Um, it goes to a third party. So I can't play favorites in my community. It goes to somebody who's going to look at it from a neutral point of view. You know, there's, and the, it, the bigger the community gets, the more you might have to have mods or people who handle some of those things. My Discord isn't so large that it's unmanageable for me and a person to kind of handle that stuff. You know, like when I, yet. when I did NerdBurgerCon on yet, <laughs> fingers <laughs> crossed everybody, when I did NerdBurgerCon, NerdBurgerCon online both times, um, I had 
people who volunteered to kind of help be the help desk person. So you had to like, you know, like, okay, here's all the information you need to know and give them whatever per permissions they needed to be able to do the things they needed to do on the discord as effectively moderators for a weekend and, uh, you know, communicate all of that information to them and, and be, I guess, be the boss, be their boss. <laughs> kind of, I hate, it's a terrible, I don't like the term, but you know, like, yeah, it is, though. Kind of lay out, lay out what, here, here's what you got to do. Thank you for volunteering. I appreciate it. Here's a bunch of free games. Um, um, thank you for helping. And yeah, so there's, there's a, a certain, you know, I, I definitely with, with a, with a Twitter account, not that it's huge, but a Twitter following in a discord and like me being more front and center in social media and, and promotion of the game. I, I am much more, and I'm not perfect, but I am certainly much more um, cognizant of like what I'm putting out there and the image that I'm presenting. This is, and I'm also paying, and I'm also paying attention to the image that is, that is that other people are presenting on my behalf. Mm -hmm. um, and th like, that's important too. So like, you know, being supportive of other evangelists, other people who are super fans of your stuff, who are going out there and stuff like, you know, like show them appreciation as well. Um, there's a handful of those on the discord that are like lovely people that will go out of their way to praise everything Nerdburger. We love those people. Don't ever let them yep, go. We do. We do. We love, we love them. We love them a lot and we, you know, treat them well. And that's, that's, that's why that's I wanted role, to like being kind of the, uh, the cheerleader for other cheerleaders <laughs> that's why i wanted to bring up the social stuff i mean yeah. you won't go anywhere as a publisher as a designer if you if you are just like completely unraveling at the seams with all the other social and networking stuff if you make a bad impression no one's gonna want to work with you no one's gonna want to play your games no one's gonna want to help you grow you're gonna struggle you're going to stagnate and you're you're going to i'm not saying you have to be like the perfect social butterfly all the time you don't have to go to a convention and shake the hand of everyone there. Don't shake hands anymore. It's gross. You can, right. You can do also, all of that to the stress. level, do all of that to the level that you are comfortable with. Do right. not crush yourself under the weight of those sorts of things. Know, know yourself, know what, you know, what you can handle from as far as like, if you get anxious about things, okay, that's fine. You this is the space okay. for it everyone like half of everyone here has you know yeah, just, just we're know, just, nerds in all many ways and that is be one prepared of the hallmarks. To, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Please don't shake hands at conventions. <laughs> at least without hand sanitizer. Not without hand sanitizer. Or rather, if you're going to shake hands, don't shake everyone's hands because I just. Mm. <laughs> I'd be perfectly fine if no one ever shook my hand for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do the Klingon, you know, Kapla salute, you know, the, the arms over the chest. I'll, I'll do a fake fist bump where you, you fist bump, but you don't actually touch fists. <laughs> like, you know, just whatever it takes. I'm perfectly happy with all of that. Bumping elbows. Yeah. <laughs> Shaking hands sucks. My doctor is great about that. He bumps elbows. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's, that's good. good. Cause your doctor. doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to touch a doctor's hands. I, <laughs> I'm probably clean, but just. You say probably, but who knows? I hope. I There's hope. Soap and hand sanitizer, that's what, 99.99% effective? Who knows? Who knows what's on those hands? Like 0.001%. COVID's turned all of us into germaphobes. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this has been a really fun conversation. I'm trying to be cognizant because I know Craig has a, has a commitment coming up here soon. So, um, Ooh, recruiter and contract writer. Oh. oh, oh my God! Please write your contracts. Please, please, please have a contract. Yeah, I might do that. Freelancer, don't sign up, up for something if you don't have a contract. You Website designer says contract. <laughs> have a contract. Have a severability yeah. clause. 
and have wit in the world it is executable under. Okay. Yeah. Now we've got to wrap up, but God. No, no, that's so important. important. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many things that would have saved a lot of people I know if they had yeah. had it written down. I took one job, no contract. And shockingly, I was never paid on time. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> wow. Shocking. So, side a contract. Who, who could have foreseen? Um, I know, really, you'd think that I <laughs> Leopards have, ate your face. I was, I was <laughs> a very broke graduate student, so I, yeah. <laughs> Sign contracts, write contracts, learn a little bit about contract law. It doesn't have to be a lot, just enough to know what I said when I met, when I talk about severability, when I talk about unenforceability, and when I talk about where it gets executed, just know what those mean. And if you have that approximate level of contract law understanding, you'll be fine. You will be totally fine. But you need to have one in writing. Sarah, I'm going to ask you to put on a hat here. I'm going to ask you to put on your self-promoter hat and plug your pluggables. <laughs> Ooh, um, when does this episode air? Because there's some things I can't Two well, we- Thursdays from now. Thursdays from now. I'm going to be careful about it, um, but I'm going to tell you to watch the uh, N Publishing Twitch channel for reasons <laughs> which i'm sure by the time i'm pretty sure by the time the episode airs will be public but just for reasons uh and publishing has a twitch channel and you should check it out hint hint uh you can find my stuff on dm's guild i write under dungeons and gin like the genie not the drink you can also find myself in the myself my stuff and myself on twitter and I've written some stuff for upcoming issues of Insider Magazine. And of course, if you haven't already checked out, Le- checked out Level Up 5e, I strongly recommend that you do. It was a great fun to write. And if you run 5e, you're going to find a lot of stuff that really, really enriches your game. But mostly, if you want to see what I'm up to, if you're curious about what I'm doing, follow me on Twitter at the underscore DM underscore Sarah. And I hope to see you there. Thank you again, Sarah. Yeah, this has been fun. Uh, you can find me also on Twitter at Joska. That's where I, I tweet about weird things. I am also continuing to work on Means of Magic, but apart from that, you can find all of my other stuff at wannabegames.com or under the same name as like on Drive Through RPG and on Twitch, itch, not Twitch. We don't do Twitch anymore. <laughs> and I'm Craig Campbell at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter. The website is nerdburgergames.com. My games are at Drive RPG as well. And I'm starting up a Patreon for the run-up to getting Capers Cyber made, which is going to be the bookend of the alternate 2020s criminals with superpowers and cyber uh, where fighting against megacorps. Um, that's at patreon.com slash nerdburgercraig. Well, thank you also to Steph Sachs for her opening and closing song, which is called Ava Least Least Released under a Creative Commons license. And thank all of you for listening. We'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.